I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. The British and Irish Lions touched down in South Africa and got their tour off to the best possible start with a comfortable win over their namesake, the Sigma Lions, in Johannesburg. The Welsh winger Josh Adams stole the headlines by scoring four tries, but there were a number of standout performances for Warren Gatlin's side in what was a much-changed 15 from the one that defeated Japan at Murrayfield. Elsewhere, the Springboks finally returned to action for the first time since beating England in the 2019 World Cup final. They defeated Georgia in an empty Loftus Versfeld, thanks in part to their debutant winger, Afaleli Fassi, who was the star performer on the night. We'll be chatting to the former Springbok, T.S. Delport, about Fassi, the Springboks and the current state of play in South Africa in a week uh, after the country was placed into a stage four lockdown. Away from the Lions tour, there were a number of home nations and there were players looking to impress during the first round of Surrey Internationals at Twickenham. All eyes were on Harlequins fly-half Marcus Smith, who impressed on his England debut, but meanwhile in Dublin, a very strong Irish side saw off Japan, but it was a close battle. As ever, we'll be answering all your questions, including the latest on the Lions Tour and the plans to increase the number of teams in the Gallagher Premiership. Delighted to say alongside me once again is a former London Irish winger who was, uh, it was in Dublin and Twickenham. It's Topsy Ojo. Hello, Topsy. Hey, Brian. How you doing? Look, Lions are 56, Sigma Lions are 14. Uh, a resounding win, uh, the problem I have is the level of opposition. Um, it can't be denied that they are not anywhere near uh, even sort of B uh, international standard, certainly not without their uh, spring box. Um, what, what, what do you make of that particular aspect of, of the, the, the warm-up games? Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one because, like you say, the opposition in normal circumstances would be a lot harder. They get a lot more tests, but ultimately you're looking at third string for a lot of these guys you know they don't have their, their test players they probably haven't played a lot of rugby together so it's a lot of young inexperienced guys as well I think for the Lions look it is what it is the, the tour is going underway so for them it's about being as efficient as possible being very ruthless in their performance saying look this is who we have in front of us so we beat them as well as possible we fine-tune where we can we use the experience and get everybody tuned knowing that come the first test it's going to be a completely different proposition. But ultimately, this is the preparation we've got. We beat who's in front of us and we just control the things we can. Um, as a, you know, a former winger yourself, Josh Adams, look, to me, he, he, you know, Louis Rees Zamet burst onto the scene, got lots of plaudits. There are lots of other star wingers. Adams seems to have 
sort of just gone quietly along doing his business without being heralded as the phenomenal try scorer that he is. You know, um, top scorer in several competitions, um, four tries again. And not only that, you know, I was impressed with his work rate, uh, his tenacity under the high, you know, chasing the high ball, which is a big feature um, of Test rugby. I think, to me, he's a nailed on starter for, for a Test berth. I think he's definitely the front runner, no doubt about that. I think, you know, he's he's had the head start in terms of he's played the first two games and he's doing what he's been asked. He's finishing, but also, as you mentioned, he's showing the other aspects of his game that you'll want to see and that you expect. Come that first test, there's going to be a lot of kick chase, a lot of contest in the air, and as a back three in particular, you're going to get tested. Faf will be putting those box kicks up, Andre Pollard or whoever starts at 10 will be doing the same. So, your back three really need to be all action. Well, that's uh, you are, I was going to come on to that. That's convenient. Stuart Hogg, assuming he will take the 15 berth, who would you have on the other wing? So this is interesting. Pre-tour, <laughs> I had my back three was Stuart Hogg, Anthony Watson and Liam Williams. I just felt that obviously Williams, equally comfortable wing and full back with that aerial threat and how good they are at counter-attacking, I think back to the previous Lions tour series where Liam Williams started that counter-attack and Sean O'Brien crashed over. Having that threat in the backfield would be ideal for South Africa. But of course, Josh Adams is right in the mix now. You know, he is saying, look, I should be the test starter. So it'll be interesting to see going forwards over the next few weeks, more of the other wingers, you know, who puts their hand up and says, actually, you know, I can finish as well as Josh Adams is. I'm taking my opportunity and you give Warren Gatland as big a headache as you can. At the moment, I would say it's looking like Hogg, Adams and probably Watson on previous tour form, but I think there's still a lot of decisions to be made. Well, we, we, we touched on this. The, the relative lack of strength for in, the in the pre-test games means that Gatland has a difficult conundrum. In, it's like goes like this. He's got to anticipate what is going to come from the Springboks. He and his players know... And certainly after the World Cup final, all the England players in the Lions know that the physical challenge is going to be in monumentally bigger than anything they're going to face there. Any of the uh, provincial sides might put them under pressure for five, ten minutes, but they can't do it for much longer. So he is trying to anticipate a threat which he can't practice for or probably select for because they just don't play test teams that far out now. You know, when the, when the tour had, you know, eight, nine, ten warm-up games, you could guarantee at least the two Saturdays before you would definitely have the test team in. That I mean, you know, in, in my two Lions tours. But they, they won't do that. And so people are going to be shocked because they'll see players like Finn Russell doing extremely well, but not quite understand that Gatlin is thinking, right, yeah, I can see all this on the front foot. I still have reservations about... A, whether we will be able to do that for sufficient periods of time and B, whether he can do it on the back foot and therefore I prefer someone else. And people are going to say, going on the form of the, you know, in the, in the, in the warm-up games, this is ridiculous, etc. So they ought to understand that. Um, and whilst I, you know, Russell is probably, he's, he's, he's the best distributor from 10 when, when they're on the front foot. Bar, bar none, his, 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 his inventiveness... In, in the way he passes the ball, the angles, the delays, you know, it, it's just a, a bit ahead of everyone else. But, the, I, you know, I, th I think Gatlin will still have his doubts, 
you know, as a starter in a first test? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I think Finn Russell probably has the most work to do to force his way into starting that first test. I, I think Dan Bigger at the at the moment is probably first choice. It's whether or not Owen Farrell comes into that conversation as well, if he's not thinking about him as inside centre. But like I say, we know that Finn Russell is a bit different than the other 10s, you know, a bit more expansive. He will look to create a bit more on the game line, short kicking game as well. At the moment, Gatlin's probably thinking, I need to go with my gut. I need to go with the style of play that I know will beat South Africa on previous. And You can always have Russell on the bench. Yeah, this is it. So this is why you would probably, at the moment, have Finn Russell as your option to come on and change the game if plan A isn't working, if we need a bit more quicker ball, if we need to be a bit more expansive. Not that Dan Bigger can't do it, but you associate the game breaking up and having somebody that can pick off players and create something with Finn Russell. So that's where you would probably balance those two playmakers as it stands. But again, you just don't know. I mean, he might go into that first test thinking, look, you know, I need to throw something different at them. I need to get stuck in there early. I need to show them different pictures, different faces, and to really test them, throw them off their guard because they, they're probably expecting bigger or a Farrell, something a bit more conservative, a bit more kick-chase game, something a bit more pragmatic. So actually, the argument as the weeks get closer and closer to that first test might be that, okay, we're going to shock them. We're going to surprise them. Injuries, form, etc. may dictate that Finn Russell gets the nod. But at the moment... He does have more work to do to get into that test team. Yeah, he may do that. I just, I just wonder. History shows um, there's only one Lions team that's lost a first test and won a series. Um, I was past that, um, <laughs> but the, you know, indisputably, if you lose the first test uh, as a Lion, you just hardly. Well, you don't. You don't win the series, and they they can't afford to get that wrong. And I think it's a really big coin toss to say, right, I'll do it this way. Even if you said, right, um, let's, 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 let's get bigger, 20, 30 minutes, see how it goes. If you need it then, you've still got a lot of time left. To do that right from the start and maybe have a couple of things go wrong and then get, you know, get under pressure, go behind against a, a very physical side. And you've got to remember this as well, but people don't say, although the Lions are playing you know, together, they're not playing in anywhere near the chess formations yet. Whereas the Springboks, in their games against Georgia, um, you know, by one or two, they're much closer. They're much closer to, to their, their, their test squad than, than the Lions will be before they get to the first game. So, you know, normally on longer tours, the Lions might have had an advantage because they were better prepared as a team than the home side. But that won't be the case this time. Um, and this impacts, you know, Finn Russell or Bigger or... Farrell impacts very much on the centres. Now, Henshaw will miss the next game for certain. Gatlin says he could be out for more. That restricts the options with the players you've got, although Daly and Farrell being sort of ubiquitous. Um, how do you see that panning out? And Aki as well. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a big loss. I mean, again, if we're talking about testing, I probably would have had Henshaw nailed on as one of the starters, I think. He was one of the form players in the Six Nations and he would have been the guy to provide that physical presence in the midfield. If you don't have him, then you think, okay, Bundyag, he's next one off the rank. Um, I would, I'm interested to see how he goes on Wednesday. That pairing with Elliot Daly, I think Daly could probably come into that 13 role 
and really add a bit of balance to that midfield. I wonder if Eddie George is going to watch this because I've a lot of people have said that that's Daly's best position anyway because he doesn't have to catch high balls, which he doesn't like doing. You know, sometimes he does it well, sometimes he doesn't. He's got the pace and intelligence to solve that more difficult defensive problem with 13, you know, do you drift, do you, where do you position yourself? And, of course, he has a monstrous left boot. So he's got a lot of options there, and we will see if that goes well. I mean, is it too much to, to ask that Eddie Jones actually pays attention to things like this? <laughs> He'll be watching, but as we know with Eddie Jones, he's his own man. He will make whatever decision he feels is right for him. I, I've always preferred Elliot Daly at 13. I mean, that's where I, I've seen him mostly. I think it's where he's most comfortable. Um, and like you say, the skill set that he has means that he offers so many different threats. He can run really nice lines. He's got the outside break. He gives you that secondary kicking and distribution option as well. So, you know, whether you want to play two playmakers, he can fill that role. He can also attack hard to the line. So he, he does offer a really nice balance with a hard-hitting centre. So that, that's going to be really good to see. Uh, well, elsewhere, some positive news about Alan Wynne-Jones. Both Warren Gatland and Neil Jenkins say that the original tour captain could yet return for the test after dislocating his shoulder, which would be nothing short of miraculous. Um, if he is just fit, what do you do? If it's me... He can't I, play. No, I don't see how you bring him in and start him in the first test. I mean, he's coming back from injury, so he's say say somehow he is fit. He's got his rehab to get through. Where's he going to get that physical preparation time in, that training time in? He's missing out on all of that presently, adjusting to altitude as well, all that pre-training that they did. And to fly him out to say... Training in all the units, all the calls, Yeah, that's et cetera, et cetera. it, that's it. And also, you've now, for the past few weeks, put... Conor Murray in charge and they'll have been developing a culture around him and different focus what do you do suddenly say right don't listen to him listen to him yeah that's it's, it. confusing. it's a confusion it is it? it is and to think that say if they're thinking about that you're basically saying to the second rows guys one of you's not playing <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> regardless of what you do in the next yeah. three weeks Alan Wynn is coming in to start I mean I, you, you, you can't do it you can't and I mean I would be amazed even just to see him out there fit, because, you know, if he has dislocated his shoulder for there not to be any longer damage, surgery or not, a three-week recovery, that is miraculous. So, yeah. I mean, time will tell, but I would be very surprised if it happens. Well, why don't we talk about South Africa's win over Georgia? Delighted to say we can welcome a regular contributor, uh, back to the podcast. Tinas Delport, the former Springbok, is with us. Goedenavond, Mina Delport. Goedenavond, Brian. How are you? Yeah, um, that's enough. Um, right, 40 <laughs> points to nine. First game in over 600 days. Um, in the limited amount you can take out of this sort of encounter, what, what, what did you, what, how do you think the Springboks did? Um, rusty to start with. I think the pace of the game certainly needs um, getting used to. I, you know, fair play to Georgia. They're not a tier one nation, but they certainly brought the physicality um, to the match. You, you know, every contact, um, you know, the guys threw their bodies in and you could see it was a bit of an adjustment by the Springboks just to get used to the physicality 
um, and, and really to the pace of the game. Although the guys have played a lot, or a lot of the guys have played in Europe um, and elsewhere and around, the, around the world, it is a real step up from a normal European Championship to test match, test match rugby. And you could see it took a bit of time for them to, to get used to that intensity um, and also the combinations. Um, you know, looking at the selection of the squad, it wasn't the first choice, but a lot of these guys will be first choice players, um, you know, once once the test matches come along. But yeah, it was a bit rusty. Um, great to see that they they were able to um, to turn it around after a slow start and and finish on a strong uh, on a strong positive note. Uh, Tina's topsy here. Just um, obviously a lot of fans over here. We're very familiar. You talk about starters with Cheslin Colby and how he's been playing, but you had another winger emerge. So what can you tell us about Afilele Fassi? Yeah, young Apolele Fassi has been a bit of a revelation in, in the uh, in the domestic season. Um, he's played most of his rugby at the Sharks um, and also at fullback, so it really gives him that versatility um, in, in the back three on fullback and, and on the wing. He has a, a, a tall, rangy runner um, and, he's, and he's really good under the skill. So it's great to see him play. He's, as I mentioned, he's played in the domestic uh, competitions, um, you know, the domestic super rugby, the Curry Cup, and then in the uh, in the Rainbow Cup that was recently held um, in South Africa, so no, very exciting young player and great to see his performances on the domestic level being rewarded with a, with a starting berth in the Springboks. So, Pride, look, they, they opted against the six-two split. Now, this was a uh, you know a thing actually called a bomb squad during the World Cup. Um, do you think that hints at a change from the physical nature of the? confrontation which South Africa traditionally bring or are we just being fooled here? No, both both Rassi and, and Jacques um, you know, are real thinkers about the game. They look to innovate and always try and think outside the box. We saw Rassi um, being disguised as a water a water carrier on, on, on Saturday with all <laughs> the masks and everything else. So they they known to, to to think outside the box and bring different different bits to the game. Um, I can't really see much change um, to the way the Springboks have played. It's it's only the first game back since the World Cup that, that the Test team has been able to play. They, they'll try and retain as much as possible, but also the game and players have moved on um, since the Rugby World Cup. So they, they would have done their research. They would have um, thoroughly um, researched the Lions, the Lions selections. They'll know every player, what every player can bring. Um, from the Lions, so they would have come up with a plan accordingly. And then, of course, the strengths um, that the Springbok team does bring and, and their players does bring. There has been some critical injuries um, or crucial injuries for the Springboks. You know, you think about Dwayne Vermeulen, he's, um, he's in very influential and aggressive role that he plays, um, impactful role that he plays in the, in the Springbok setup. You know, his injury would be a concern um, at lock. You know, we are struggling a little bit there. Lue de Jager is not fully uh, back fit. R.G. Sneeman, um, with that fire pit incident, might not be able to to get back in. So there are some some concerns at lock. And then I, I think also the depth, um, you know, the depth at fly half. Um, Andre Pollard um, is the first choice. But then behind him, there's a bit of a, a lack of, of depth. So as much as... The bomb scud will still be be a factor. Um, you know, it's been affected by a couple of the players in the previous bomb squad that's left. You know, if you think a guy like the Beast has gone, if you think a guy like Francois Lowe has gone, it's finding trying to find guys that can step in and um, and fulfil those roles. 
Um, what can you tell us about the COVID situation? Because we here uh, got into uh, stage four or whatever. What, what, what does that mean in, in, in practice? How severe is it? No, it's quite severe. Um, you know, I've, I've got a couple of friends, personal friends, that's been really affected by COVID the last couple of weeks. Um, hospitals are under pressure. Um, and it's, it's this Delta variant. So um, the country has decided to go back into lock um, stage four restrictions. So limiting um, what what the people in the country can do. Um, you know, I really feel for for the players, you know, especially the traveling Lions players, because they'll be holed up in a hotel. They'll be in their COVID bubble, but they'll be limited in terms of the hotel, training field, gym and, and playing field. So they won't actually be able to enjoy what South Africa can bring and the people can bring, you know, um, it, it's such a disappointment that no traveling fans can go, but it's going to be a testing time for, for the players in those COVID bubbles. So it is, it is quite difficult at the moment. Um, as I said, the, uh, the infrastructure is under pressure. Hopefully the guys can stay safe and um, we can still see them play test match rugby against the Springboks. Well, I'm sure you've seen the Lions opening two games. What have you made of them so far? And what do you think of Warren Gatlin's squad in general? In terms of his squad in general, um, I think it's quite an exciting squad. Um, you, you, you look at the back three that was picked. Um, you know, they're all expansive players. They're exciting players um, in, in the back three. You know, the balance at 10 is interesting. You know, Dan Bigger, Finn Russell... Um, you know, it looks like Farrell will be employed as a 12 for me uh, in the back line. The concern is who, who's the kicker? You know, the, um, the only really recognized under pressure kicker is probably probably, probably Owen Farrell. So, um, you know, that, that, that needs to be a concern up front. Um, also very exciting. I think it's a, it's, it's a very mobile um, back three, uh, loose forward combinations that it's picked, you know, seeing um, sort of expecting um, uh, um Courtney Laws stepping away from um, from lock into six. Also, um, you know, there's a couple of locks that will will have to cover that six position. I don't think there was a specialist six really picked. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they employed. But they look, you know, they look like they are a fit team. Um, they look like they like to be expansive and to move the ball around. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think against Japan, um, although it was an, a quick early start. It was uh, it was good to see Japan come back and challenge them, um, sort of for the last sixty minutes and, and, and put them under a little bit of pressure. Uh, the Lions game was sort of as to be expected, um, you know, very dangerous on the on the outside. You know, Josh Adams scoring four and just shows how dangerous the Lions are um, across the pitch. Uh, just finally, uh, Tina, uh, come the first test, do you think the Springboks, given you know all the things that might be in their way. Do you think they will be there in as near um, um, a condition as you would want them to be? They'll be close, Brian. I mean, uh, unfortunately, they they haven't really had the opportunity to play many international level games, um, unlike the Lions who played Six Nations um, matches and, and before. You know, the, the challenge for the Springboks is there's one more real um, test match in ahead against Georgia again. So, this will be the last time as a, as a test team. And then the South Africa A, a game against the Lions will be, will be the last real chance to test some of the young players um, to see what they're up to. But, you know, you guys know as, as good as I do playing international rugby, a lot of it is about experience and it's, it's the mental side of things. You know, you, you do step up several 
several steps when you play against an All Blacks, when you play against an England, when you play definitely when you play against the Lions. So that emotional step up will definitely be made, um, and you know the guys will go out uh, go out firing. Gene, it's good to speak to you. Um, please come back. I'm sure we'll uh, get hold of you uh, during the Test series. Uh, in the meantime, be safe, mate. And you guys, stay safe, guys. Well, moving on, uh, Topsy, the next Lions game is against Natal Sharks. It's on Wednesday. Um, it should be a step up from the Lions, but it won't be again. It just can't be anywhere near test standard. And I think the test, the, the Lions squad that's been chosen, certainly starting 15 as well, just shows that Warren Gatland has at least this in his armory. He can play lots of different ways. He's just got to decide what he wants to do and when. Um, if you haven't given the team announcement, I'll just do it now. Uh, 15, Liam Williams. 14, Anthony Watson. 13, Elliot Daly. 12, Bundiaki. 11, uh, Dion van der Merwe. 10, Dan Bigger. 9, Gareth Davis. 1, Marco Vernapola. 2, Luke Cowan-Dickey. 3, Zander Ferguson. 4, Ian Henderson. 5, Adam Beard. 6, Josh Navidi. 7, Tom Curry. 8, Sam Simmons. Let's start at the back. Um, I like van der Merwe. Um, especially in those conditions. Uh, and it's an interesting back three, is that? Yeah, it is. I- I'm really excited to see how they go. You know, we- we've seen Van der Merwe and Liam Wheel in the Japan game, but Anthony Watson comes in first start, Elliot Daly first start, Bundyaki as well. I think it's almost like you said, you know, Warren Gatlin has a multitude of options to pick. How does he want to play? Does he want to... He's got Duan van der Merwe who can come and get involved off his wing, big, powerful runner, but also out wide. He's very, very dangerous. Anthony Watson, Liam Williams, very, very good on the counter-attack and under the high ball, kind of thinking ahead to the first test. So it's just all about combinations. That will be the thing again. You know, the opposition may be better. I think the Lions, they may have that 10 minutes where they're still trying to, you know, as much as you can do it on the training field with live opposition, those combinations really need to click. So The once- combination at centre, that's an interesting... Because- we were talking earlier on about Elliot Daly and what he can do. And Bundiaki gives you that sort of punch allied to that. And normally, when you're looking for centres and you're looking for a point of difference to make the contrast and some of the parts, you know, uh, aggregate better, that, that, that could be very important. I think so. I, I think, I mean, if, say, if Robbie Henshaw isn't fit, I could see that being a test centre partnership just on the basis of, regardless of who you have at 10, you've got options. You can play short to Aki if you need somebody to be that battering ram and go direct. And actually, Daly can use that to his advantage. He's got that outside arc. He can use Aki as almost a foil to suck in some defenders and create that half gap that he needs to make space for any back three outside him. So that balance is going to be really key. If those two go well, I think, again, you're talking about a pairing that put their hands up to say, we're good enough together to start in the first test. It's a lighter... I mean, this is all relative, obviously. Um, uh, slightly faster pack. Um, Ian Henderson being captain. Uh, normally, you don't want to be captain midweek side because it, it signals that you might, just, you might keep the job. Um, and he would certainly be looking to be a test starter. The back row, you know, I've always rated Navidi. Um, not just because he's a dog, but he's a, you know, he's, a, he's a good runner. He's a good... Both, all of them. Navidi, Curry and Simmons are great ball carriers. Not in the Billy Vinopola, you know, Vermeulen bull people, but they beat people. 
And that's all you need for runners. Yeah, that's it. Carriers. That's it. And you know, we, we, we say smaller, more mobile, but actually these guys are powerful and yes. they can punch and they can carry and they probably yes, they offer a bit more ground speed. So they do give you that multiple threat. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they especially Navidi and Curry, because we know that they're going to be on the ball poaching the whole game. So again, tactically you're thinking, right, do I want to win the game in the air or do I want to win it on the ground? Do I need to change tactics? And who out of these guys gives you the best of that? So, again, seven is going to be yeah. very hotly contested. Navidi and Curry could equally... Well, six be- is a crucial selection. He's got to make this choice. Does he pick a second row like Laws? Even he told you, I think he told you... The, for me, he told you the second row he should play there because he's just better. Um... Does he do that or does he go for Navidi or something like that? That would be a big, big talking point. And I think it could be very influential against, you know, a powerful South African uh, back row. Simmons, when you, well, the more you see of Simmons and the way that he's allowed to play at Exeter, and certainly in the cup final it was the same, even though he was on the losing side, he just wandered, no, this is, he's allowed to wander around and pick his, pick his attacks, isn't he? Yeah. Because yeah. when he gets there, you know, if he gets the right opportunity, he's very, very potent. I just wonder whether he'll be asked to play a different role because that will go away from his strength, I think. He might be a bit, but then I think if you're looking at getting the best out of him, you'll be saying to him, look, go and operate in the spaces where you can go and do as much damage as you can. We yep. know you're quicker. You're quicker than most number eight. He's quicker than most backs. But find those spaces where you can pick off guys one-on-one, but also we are going to need you because it's South Africa to do that dirty work as well, to punch in close quarters, to get involved. But your strength is your speed, your power and your explosiveness. And that's what we need to see as well, because that is going to be a point of difference. We know we need that physical aspect, but we also need you to be able to say, South Africa, I can beat you in many of different ways. And I'm going to show that in this game. So a lot of people will be very excited to see him perform because we've seen how potent he's been in the Gallagher Premiership. It's not all pick and go tries from him. We know that he's got... A really, really good highlights reel. So it's now, can he do it? He's, he's not played Test Rugby in a while, but can he now do it in a line shirt on this big stage? Well, if you look back at recent and, in fact, ancient rugby history, the only side that's regularly beaten Springboks are the Kiwis. And they have never done it by overpowering them because they've never had the physical makeup. They've been able to be cute and get enough ball and be good enough in defence and then the point of difference has come in by rugby intelligence or by, you know, skill sets or by, you know, sheer pace. So, you know, South Africa have won three World Cups. They've never conceded a try in a final. They've never been beaten physically in any of those confrontations. And we saw in the last World Cup what they can do when they get on top. So I can't for the life of me see the sense in trying to face that head-on and overcome it. Because, A, I don't think we've got the players, and B, we're just not... We, that isn't our game. That's, we're not used to doing that. That's exactly it. You get drawn into playing the game that, that they a, want. Yes, exactly. They want that physical confrontation. They want you to get annoyed and riled and think, right, you know, game plan out the window. We're coming for you. You think you're more manly than us, bigger than us. We're going to take you on. And that detracts from tactically how you can actually exploit them and beat them. Of course, you need to take them on, but... If you solely go in thinking arm wrestle, we're going to win that way, you're losing a trick. So I'd like to think that the Lions are very aware of 
their strengths are being able to play multidimensional, being able to take them on, make them think that it's all going to be direct and then play to the space quickly and use the multitude of talent that they have. Well, some of the uh, international teams, domestic international teams were on duty. You watched England beat the USA 43-29. Look, it was a very inexperienced England squad with limited uh, preparation time. Everyone was eager to see uh, Marcus Smith make his debut. What what uh, did you make of him and England in general? Marcus was very good. He was he was assured. I think um, you know it wasn't full box of tricks that we might see at Harlequins because this is his first cap. You know it's a new environment. He's got eight new starters, twelve total in and around him. You know he wants to make a good debut as well, make a statement. But it was just very assured. He did what he needed to. He didn't miss too many kicks either. He scored a try as well. He, he built a nice rapport with Harry Randall too. And for a debut, you would say very, very solid. I what think, do you think of a, that as a partnership going forward? Prospects? Yes, definitely. Because I, I feel like they're two very similar like-minded players. They want the ball quick. They want to move into space quickly so they can make things happen. And I think... Marcus will know Harry Randall wants to tap and go. He wants to find space. He wants to keep things moving. He'll also know that Marcus wants the ball in hand so he can play to the option, so he can dance with his feet, so he can bring runners onto the ball. So that balance and understanding between how they both like to play the game, they do similar for their clubs. It's all about space. It's all about opportunity and getting the ball there quickly. So that balance, I think, has huge potential. As for the performance overall... It was okay. It was fine. Like it's new caps, you know. We're always expecting England. We have to win every game by forty points. It got disjointed because of the injuries, because of the six-two bench, and you know you had players out of position. Dan Robson was on the wing, did what he needed to, but you know you wouldn't really want that. So they got through it. A few scares in the second half, which will be great for them because they'll learn that at any point in international rugby, if they fall off mentally and physically, the opposition will come back at them, which USA did. But it's a great experience and we look forward to more next week. Yeah, I, I thought the USA um, acquitted themselves you know, reasonably well. Um, there are lots of problems with rugby in the USA, just logistical and money problems because of the vast scale of the, of the country. Um, if they get it right, you know, who knows where they could go. But um, people are saying, well, there were lots of things to look at in the backs, very little in the forwards. Well, it's like this. Once you dig down to a certain age level and a certain level of first-team experience, you're not going to get physically dominant players because they're not fully developed, nowhere near. And you can cope with one or two of them in a pack. When you get you know, five or six, which you had, it's very difficult. So I think they did, as I say, about as much as they, they sort of could. Um... There's going to be more injuries between now and the first test with the Lions. Anyone do you think might be on the cusp of a Lions call in the England squad? Off that performance, I mean, the only one you could potentially say was, say, if a back rower were to go down, you know, you would happily have Sam Underhill in there. You know, he, he'll tackle anything, anything that moves. Um, outside of that, there's probably not enough experience that you would want to call in at this stage of a Lions test where you're building towards the first that first series to say all right come and be a part of it I mean Ellis Genge may be another one 
Um, but, you know, I think there would be one or two other front rowers ahead of him. So, I mean, I, I think for this England side, you would probably look elsewhere, probably a bit too young, a bit too raw to want to bring straight into that environment. And what about in Dublin? Um, it was quite a strong Irish side. They aged past Japan. Wasn't that convincing. Um, how do you think they went? They were okay. Again, you know, I, I wouldn't say after the game they, they were all happy with how it went I mean again you know they've not played for a while it is a new group but with the experience that they did have a lot of players that played in the Six Nations they probably would have wanted the game to go better than it did I, I think Japan were brilliant you know the speed of ball their willingness to want to play to space and attack at pace really caused Ireland a lot of problems and Ireland only won the game because there was a period of about 10 minutes where they went to basics they went to kicking they went to squeeze and almost Japan Japan's philosophy of attack attack just got them into a little bit of trouble where maybe they needed to take a bit of pressure off themselves but that being said you know Ireland will say look we got the job done even though we were in trouble and it's a great learning experience for them there weren't too many stellar performances you know a lot of eyes were on James Ryan again you know it wasn't a Warren Gatland pick me performance I think there were some others that stood out more than him Josh van der Fleer was man of the match and played really well he was abrasive he carried really hard um that aside, again, nobody really saying if there was an injury to, on, say, in this next game that I should be next one off the rank. You know, it was, a, it was a methodical performance, but, you know, no gold stars being handed out, I don't think. Before we get on to uh, fan questions, the Premiership expanded to 14 teams from 22 onwards. Um, you'll have 13 teams next season and there'll be no relegation until... 2024, which effectively means, given that Saracens went down, everyone knew they were going down, there was none this year, that means the five years they won't have had any relegation. Um, I can't think that they won't have it after, straight away after that, because I think that's the longest period. And I've always said, you should not get rid of relegation, you just shouldn't have it every year. Um, what do you think are the potential benefits of this? Or is it a good thing at all? Or do you criticise it? Well, I, I'm with you in that I, I think we've always needed to have promotion and relegation. I understand the financial implications of COVID and everything that's happened. And maybe we do need both clubs, Premiership and Championship, need stability to get their houses in order. I think if, you, if it's done in a way that, especially for the Championship, that they are guaranteed some sort of funding so that at least when the drawbridge is opened, it becomes competitive because otherwise, effectively, you are ring-fencing. You're saying, look, we've had three or four years, no no relegation. We've been able to sort our books out. We've had our, our salary cap that is way more than yours. So ultimately, the difference in squad depth and talent is going to be too much unless the teams below them have a way in which they can build up their resources, build up their infrastructure and make it at least a viable competition. That's what you want to see. Otherwise, you know, say we go the next... After this period, the next five years where the bottom team always beats the top team from the championship, you'd say, well, it's effectively ring fence. So I completely understand it. Um, I just hope that it is a level playing field once we come out of this because the championship is a brilliant league, having played in it, having been up and down the country. And you talk to the Saracens guys that have just come out of it. They appreciate it more and understand what a big part it plays, not just in the development of premiership players, but of international players as well, guys that have applied their trade in it and come out better for it so it can't get left behind as much as we need to stabilise things that up and down needs to be there it has to stay wise words which uh, 
Unusually, I have nothing more to add to. Um, uh, questions now. Um, Tintern Film Night. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's a strange name. Anyway, will George Ford, Owen Farrell and Marcus Smith ever be able to play together? Uh, can you imagine that? I can't imagine that scenario because I can't understand what it brings. <laughs> All three at the same time, um, no. Uh, two out of the three, yes. I think, you know... Y- you can't have all three of them on the pitch at the same time. It, it, it doesn't work. Um, I think Ford and Farrell have built a good partnership. I think Smith and Farrell could build a good partnership as well um, because I, I think what England like is to have that second pair of eyes to take the pressure off the 10. Um, so, yeah, pick two out of the three, not all three. Uh, one for Matthew. Has Eddie Jones been found out tactically? His current directives are to the detriment of exciting players like Marcus Smith. Should we ditch him? Now pre-World Cup for Scott Robertson. Well, well they're not good to ditch him. No. That, I mean, that's, that's the, the short answer to that. But um, if they could, would you? No, I, I wouldn't. I mean, you know, he, he's not going anywhere. I, I think that without him admitting it, he'll understand that, you know, he needs to continually evolve how he wants his England side to play the game. And also when he brings players in like Marcus Smith, they need to be allowed to play the game where they shine the most. You know, it, it can't be too prescriptive. You probably need a framework so that the players have a reference point of where they need to be at certain times. But other than that, it's for me, it's about space. It's about finding those opportunities, getting the ball there quickly and taking them. International rugby is very cutthroat. You only get so many opportunities. If you don't take yours, the opposition will take theirs. So, you know, I, and, you know Eddie won't come out and admit it, of course. But no, he's learned a lot recently about himself and it... Having spoken to him on Sunday, he seemed very excited because having worked with this new group, he doesn't know them really, they don't know him. So actually for him to maybe sit back a bit and see what they can do in that England environment and figure out how to get the best out of them could be huge going forward. I mean, if you look at uh, Jones's career, a lot of people have likened him to Mourinho and he's in uh, many ways like him in the, in the obstinacy and, and, and so on. But he has shown, albeit that it's taken longer than some people would like, that he is receptive to change. Um, and and you know, in several incarnations in Australia and so on, he has made the changes. Um, people, some people would say too late. Um, but he has shown, unlike Mourinho, who's, who seemed to be unwilling you know, to depart from, from where he was even 10 years ago, um, there is that there. You just hope that... Uh, you you just hope that it, that open mindedness, you know. I think one of the problems is because because he's so driven, and you know he, he pulls people along with him. To to do that, you've got to have faith in what you're doing. You can't have any doubts because you can't sustain that level of of commitment. Um, and I just hope that the, you know, the balance gets gets right that allows him to, to to just relax a bit more, you know, and and take these take these calls. Um, because I think what the World Cup showed was you're just one game away either side of getting it absolutely right or disastrously wrong. And sometimes you can't do anything about it. So, you know, however much you will yourself into this position, that will only take you so far. And sometimes you do need to just pull, pull back off and let other people help. Yeah, and I think this is probably the period to do that. He'll probably look back and say, this point four years ago, they went to Argentina. He was almost able to relax a bit and experiment, try a few new things with the view to now, okay, come autumn, this is the plan that's going to take us through for the next two years through to the World Cup. And 
say we were a game away from winning the ultimate prize. So, you know, he he has previous of being able to change things around, being able to cull the squad where need be, being able to adapt and to set course on a new path towards hopefully things being better for this England team. So I guess we'll see how they go against Canada, see what the squad looks like come the autumn. And that will be the true test. You know, when they're back at Twickenham in the autumn, in these big games with his first choice selections, what do England look like then? How are they playing? Where have they improved? And are we looking to kick on and say, right, OK, going to 2023, we are in a really good place? Because for me, say, for example, the potential Randall-Smith partnership, it makes no sense anymore to have two older scrum halves. Even if you want one that's got a lot of experience, the other one should, must not be more of the same. There's just no point. No, no, definitely. You, you, you have to, you're thinking change the game. You're not thinking come on and do the same thing. Yeah. You need game breakers. Someone that's either going to A, open it up because you're chasing or B, shut it down because you're in a lead and you just want to say, we'll take this I'm, I'm the same at fly half. We know what Ford and Farrell can do. We know what Farrell and someone else can do. Let's have a look at what Smith or someone else can do because otherwise you won't know. No, and this is the time. This, and is, this is the time, yes. Um, one from Serenity Seeker, the last one. Who played themselves into starting 15th for the first test in South Africa? Well, this is always very difficult, and I come back to a point I made very early on. What you are seeing in these games and people impressing, Warren Gatlin will be taking note of this, but he will also know that this is not what he's going to face in the test match. No, I mean, I can't get this strongly over. Nowhere near what they are going to face in intensity, pace, reaction times, and so on. And the aggregate, just small increases in all those things, and actually, there'll be large increases between these pre-test games and the test games. That makes a lot of difference. So it's very difficult to answer this question, but the one for me is Josh Adams. I must, I must admit, as a non-Welsh um, you know, person, I, I, for me, it, he's, he's remarkable scoring record. I've almost gone by the by as well. And, and this was the first time I'd be actually, it was a reinforcement thought, oh, actually, you ought to pay attention to this. Because this is quite an important thing, isn't it, for wingers scoring tries? Absolutely. What are you supposed to do? Well, Your first job. Yeah, it's, it's number one on and the who job does it sheet. Better? Who's doing score it better? tries. And you look at, yeah, who's doing it better at the moment, even in the Six Nations. He, he missed the opening two games, came in, scored against England, and he has been so consistent for Wales over this last while that you know Warren Gatlin will have no issue like he knew what Josh could do already but I think maybe we've all now saying hang on this guy is the real deal maybe he hasn't had the plaudits that some others get but I think you know for us that have watched him and for a winger you know I, I look at this a lot you know tries is one but also the work rate off the ball to get yourself involved. If you're not getting the ball on the wing, you don't snatch their candy, catching a cold, you go and you get involved. And then that work in the air, whether it's chasing those kicks or receiving those kicks as well. And at the moment, Josh Adams is doing it all. So yeah, he's again, he's put his hand up. No doubt about that. Well, when we come back uh, in the uh, successive podcasts, there'll be no doubt the same question each time. Who's played themselves into the starting 15, and the answer will be the same. There'll be this or that, but just remember, two very different beasts. That's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Huge thank you to my co-host, Topsy Ojo, and to my guest, Tina Stelport. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe or register and check out some of our previous episodes? It's free, uh, and these include our 
Misery's Brian's Lions, where I've looked back on previous Lions tours with those who have experienced firsthand. And even though I would say this myself, they are good. Because people like Ian McGeekin, they can, I mean, just a font of knowledge and a pleasure to listen to at any point. I'll be back next week for all the latest on the Lions tours and beyond. But until then, goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.